You are listening to the Religica Theo Lab podcast in the Center for Ecumenical and Interreligious Engagement at Seattle University. Arun Manila Gandhi is an Indian American social political activist and the fifth grandson of Mahatma Gandhi. Arun followed in the footsteps of his grandfather as an activist. In 2017, he published Gift of Anger and other lessons from my grandfather Mahatma Gandhi. He is known internationally as the peace farmer through his demonstrated commitments to non-violent peacemaking. People refer to me as the grandson of Mahatma Gandhi. I prefer Arun Gandhi, founder president of the Gandhi Worldwide Education Institute. And you are a peace farmer. Yes. Well, I chose the peace farmer because my grandfather used to say that uh, when you go out to work for peace or work for harmony in society, consider yourself a farmer who hopes and prays that they get a good crop. We can plant the seed, but there's so much we don't control really in terms of how it gets cultivated or grows. That's perfectly right. That's why he said, you know, otherwise we go with very high expectations and we think that we are going to be able to create peace by one talk. We burn out very quickly because our expectations are always so high. We can only plant seed. It is up to the people to decide whether they want that seed to germinate or whether they want that seed to rot and perish. Arun, is there also a way in which the seeds themselves that you're planting are already inside the community? It's about helping them see their own way of growing peace. Yes, there is that innate desire for peace and a life without fear. But unfortunately, we have created this society that is based on materialism, and materialism breeds greed and selfishness and brings out all the worst in humanity. So we are now living in a society where there's more fear and greed and selfishness proliferating all over. And that is creating disharmony instead of bringing peace. The desire for peace is innate in everybody. Is there a story or two in terms of farming for peace that others should also hear? Uh, yes. One of the things that I have appreciated from grandfather and that is the understanding and the depth of his philosophy of nonviolence people seem to think of nonviolence as a tool as a weapon for conflict resolution and also they think it is the opposite of violence but what he explained to me and taught me was that we are responsible not only for physical violence but passive violence where we don't use any physical force and yet we hurt people by the way we live and by the way we tolerate poverty we have everything we want and there are people right next to us who live in poverty and destitution it's passive violence that fuels the fire of physical violence if we want to put out that fire we have to cut off this fuel supply and the fuel supply comes from each one of us he said that if we don't personally transform if we don't transform them into strength then you know we will never really be able to practice nonviolence we consume the world around us we disregard our neighbor we measure success of people by material gains you make the possessions you have 
as long as we submit to that kind of materialism, then uh, we are going to have conflicts all the time. We have forgotten the real purpose of religion. In terms of the, the real purpose of religion, then, as peace-bearing, as peace-building, what is it that we miss about what religion should do for the world? You know, grandfather said, and I'm quoting him, he said, a friendly study of all the scriptures is the sacred duty of every individual. Mm. And he emphasized the word friendly. We make a lot of critical studies of all the religions, but we don't make a friendly study. So we need to make that kind of a friendly study. And he made that friendly study, and he found that all of us have a little bit of the truth, and we hang on to that little truth, thinking that that is the whole truth. And therefore, we have a very distorted vision of our own religion. And uh, he said our understanding of religion will improve only if we are able to take from all the religions what we find good in them and incorporate them in our own. So he didn't expect that we all melt down and become one religion, or but that we learn from each other and we incorporate that and we all grow together. You have a family history and legacy from your grandparents' What you've learned about the legacy of peace, let's say, or, or the commitment to peace? Well, my experience ever since I started working here in the United States is that everybody thinks about peace as the absence of war, that if we are not at war with anybody, we are living in peace. And that's not true, because mm -hmm. we are even in absence of war, we are still committing violence in different ways there. And that's what I said earlier about passive violence and physical violence. Mm -hmm. And it's only when we look at all the violence that we are committing in all the different ways that we will then be able to understand what peace means. Mm -hmm. In Gandhi's understanding, peace means harmony. If we are able to create that harmony in society where we can all live equally and, and with all the benefits available to uh, everybody else, then we are living in peace. And that harmony needs to be created by the government as well as by the people themselves. The emphasis of your grandfather, Mahatma Gandhi, on harmony is also mm -hmm. incredibly difficult for us to achieve. It's impossible if we look at the present situation and want to change the present situation overnight or a year, that is impossible. It's not going to happen. It may not happen in our own lifetime. Mm -hmm. But if we desire it and commit it, and if we all begin to work towards it, it's going to happen sooner or later. Harmony. Do you think your grandfather's concern may well have been that we live in a time where we've lost patience with patience? Yes, we have lost patience. We need to refocus that humility to believe that we can do certain things, but only when all of us come together, achieve it. There's often a desire to run away from the pain we may see on our own planet or in our own lives, communities and families. Yes. My grandfather believed that uh, nationalism and patriotism are the worst things that could have happened to humanity. Mm. 
you know, uh, have this nationalistic point of view about each country. That has made us so insular. We are thinking only of our corner of the world, and we think that we can safeguard our corner of the world and forget about the rest of the world. We are all interconnected and interrelated. However powerful we may be here in the United States, we will not be able to survive if the rest of the world is going down the drain. So our stability and security is not by establishing stronger army and weapons here and protecting our own country, but the stability and security of any nation depends on the ultimate stability and security of the whole world. And we've got to start working towards each other throughout the world so that we can eradicate poverty and ignorance and create that harmony. If the world is a living organism like a human body, there's something that happens to us when inflammation becomes chronic in the same way that violence can become chronic in certain parts of the world, Israel and Palestine, Syria, or gun violence in Chicago, Illinois, or the treatment of the Rohingya people. Like All of these have something about them where we could discuss what happens when conflict or violence becomes chronic. We want our own land. We want our own place. And we don't want to share with other people. And then we have been producing weapons of mass destruction and distributing them. So it makes it easy for people to kill each other and destroy each other. Our thinking and our attitudes towards all of this has to change. Only then we can really create harmony and peace. Let me change a bit the topic. I'd like to just ask you about your book, The Gift of Anger and Other Lessons from My Grandfather, Mahatma Gandhi. It did mm. well in Germany and other countries. And one of the aspects of the book that I think is so important is the idea that the power of anger can be a force for good, even a gift to us. How is anger a gift? Anger is a gift because it motivates us to look at situations. I mean, when we see all this violence around us, it's basically that anger that we are not able to live together and that really motivates us. Those who don't have that anger or don't understand that anger then remain quiet or shut their eyes, pretend that they are not affected by it. Anger, grandfather used to explain to me, was that anger is like electricity. Mm. It's just as powerful and just as useful but only if we use it intelligently. But it can be just as destructive and deadly if we abuse it. And he he used it and he showed us, mm. uh, you know, the example of 1919 when a massacre took place, when the British governor massacred uh, hundreds of people in cold blood in Punjab. Uh, when that news spread around the country. Uh, there was tremendous anger in the people at the time. And if somebody had lit the match, there would have been a bloody revolution in India. Mm. But grandfather realized what was happening. Instead of focusing the anger of the people on the British people, he focused it on British products. And he said, let burn all the clothes, uh, British clothes that we possess and all the British-made stuff that we have in our homes. Bring it out and let's make public bonfires. He transformed that anger of the people 
into burning the products instead of fighting and creating a bloody revolution. Your grandfather is able to transform the anger around him and even the anger he may have felt in himself. Is it true that all of us have that in us? What did your grandfather feel about that possibility for us as daily human beings? Well, grandfather believed that all of us, each human being, has the tendency to do good or to do bad. It all depends on which we nurture more. We usually nurture the bad aspects of our attitudes more because we want to show we are brave and we are strong and we are not pushovers and so on. And we suppress the good. But he said that if we make a commitment to allow the good to suppress the bad in us, then we will be able to do good things there. That is what he did. You know, he was an ordinary person. He, he was not born a special. He wasn't brought up in any special way. He was very ordinary right up to the age of about 25 or so. Mm-hmm. And it was only at that age that when he, he suffered the prejudice in South Africa that he uh, decided he had to find more civilized ways of finding justice instead of fighting. At that moment, he was very angry. He was very angry by the uh, humiliation that he was made to feel because of the color of his skin. But he immediately realized that he didn't want to submit to that anger and cause violence and conflict in that transformation. When we dehumanize people because we have a conflict with them, When we call them enemies, once we dehumanize them, then it's easy for us to kill them. People, he says, we don't have enemies. We are not fighting enemies. We are transforming friends. You've been listening to the Religica Theolab podcast in the Center for Ecumenical and Interreligious Engagement at Seattle University. To learn more about the center's work and for resources to be used in local communities, visit us at seattleu.edu slash the center.